Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is, it is time for Spin the Rally Pod. You will have noticed that we are missing Lisa. Once again, Lisa, our illustrious leader, is in Beijing. Uh, sorry, I should introduce myself. I'm David Evans. I am the, the staff writer at, the, at Dirtfish.com. With me today on the on the podcast is George Donaldson, former sporting director, former team manager, former everything in the sport, uh, and of course, former driver. Uh, we should never forget that, George. Something that I think we always play down, George. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, and uh, Deputy Editor Luke Barry, is this your debut on the, on the pod, Luke? This is, this is. I, I feel like a bit of a not-so-super sub coming off the bench in the absence of Colin as well. So. Yes, yeah, you will have noticed that we are, I was going to say, we're, we're down to, uh, to, to just the one Scott, but of course we're not because we've lost one Scott in Colin Clark, who's, who's off in Australia, uh, and we have gained Luke Barry, uh, who is another Scott. We are all about the Scots, which is disappointing for an Englishman two days mm. after we failed to win but, the Calcutta Cup. Indeed, but however, David, I mean, it must it must be noted that uh, our normal Skype call didn't work and we had to dial in sort of slightly separately. <laughs> so even without Colin, Colin, it, all these technical issues have nothing to do with you. They're quite clearly to do with someone else. I am part mm, of that. It's scary. Yeah. When, 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 when we were struggling with Skype this morning, it, uh, I was on the phone to Luke and I'd, I'd encourage Luke over the weekend that everything would be fine. It would be no problem. Yes. Uh, and it was something of a concern. But anyway, we're here. We have made it. Uh, so, yeah. So welcome, Luke uh, and George. So what are we going to talk about? The, the thing that I would like to talk about first is, uh, is the testing that we've seen uh, last week. Obviously, we're now done with Monte Carlo. Uh, that is a, a distant memory. Um, but, and we are rapidly moving towards round two in Rally Sweden, um, which is why we saw last week, we saw in both, curiously, both in Finland, uh, Toyota and Hyundai testing. Uh, so I now, I have a question for you both. Can either of you tell me how and why Hyundai was testing in Finland? No, I can't tell you, but I'm desperate to know, David. Just, just don't <laughs> keep me in suspense. This is not a quiz show. Come on. It's, it's not. <laughs> It's not so. I I had a good chat with uh, Julian Monset on Friday afternoon. I couldn't figure it out either. It just it didn't seem to make sense that okay they can go and test anywhere. You know the the testing regulations mean that you can test anywhere in Europe. You just can't test outside of Europe. But I couldn't really fathom why I'd gone to to what I think was sort of central Finland uh, instead of going up north to um, northern Sweden, where Umeå, where of course where the where round two will be. So he spoke to Julian Monset and he explained, this is one that's, that's caught us both at, and Luke as well, that there is now a secondary testing base for, it's, it's, apparently it's known as the systems check base. Uh, 
Uh, it's a second permanent test site that the teams are now permitted. Uh, I guess this is a, a rally a rally one new regulation thing. So each team can now nominate a second uh, test site. So Hyundai has nominated Central Finland, close to Avascula, where it can now go and test as much as it wants. Um, I don't actually in your in your face Toyota. Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. This, this is the point, and and I put that point to to Julian Wamset and said, you know, isn't it a strange place to go? And, and he said, well, essentially, if you can't beat them, join them. Which of course they hope that by joining them, joining them, they will beat them. Uh, so that's it. So we know that M Sports' second permanent test base will be its its own test track at Dunby. Uh, so they've got, they've kind of got both bases covered really quite nicely. They've got some good tarmac and they've got um, they've got Greystoke as their primary test site as well. So so that is why we saw all of the Hyundai's testing in Finland. Um, and George, one question to you: As you move from from Monty into Sweden with a brand new car, what sort of stuff? I mean, what are you focusing on in testing? What are they What are they looking for? What are they working on? Well, if you're talking directly about Hyundai, which I presume we are. Um, yeah, or, or they're, just they're, generally, you know, as the as gen generally, move out of Monty. Well, you're going to one of the fastest rallies in the world. Uh, now, fast rallies for me are, there's two two key places to test. One are the very high speed events like Finland, like Sweden. Not dissimilar at all. Uh, quite dissimilar car setup in one way, but in another way, very, very similar, super high speed. Sweden was always the fastest rally in the world for many, many years. Uh, despite what everyone thinks it being snow and slippery, you're on these lovely spiked tires and the speed is enormous. Uh, and I believe that Apanumia we're going to be even quicker than we have been in the past. If, it, yeah. if it's lost its mantle as the fastest rally in the world, it's about to regain it. So, yeah. This, so you're I, looking for you're when you go to these rallies to test. Sorry, David, it is all about balance and confidence and and extracting that speed, being able to lean on the car, making sure the car doesn't twitch around, it doesn't doesn't tend to edge out too sideways, doesn't tend to drift in, in, into understeer. Now that's that's a difficult shout with these cars now because we're locked four wheel drive again, so it's quite a difficult dynamic balance. I don't really understand the kinematics of it, and I never have pretended to. We've got lovely engineers that do that for us in, in, when you're in teams. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky balance to strike. But when you get your car right on these super high-speed rallies, it will go quickly. You'll then rebalance. It's the question of setup to get it right everywhere else. The other place you used to go and test was in rough places. Everyone used to go down to Chateau-Listeur or, or, uh, or Acropolis, or if, if you had the facility, even Kenya, and that fight that that finds where your car breaks. Uh, that that was yeah. the key there. So uh, speed and and toughness. That's a two big test. So Sweden test massive. Everyone's got to be looking for that lovely stable car that just can feed in with confidence. And the I mean, it's you go sideways for so long on this rally and quite severely because you can lean the car on the snow banks and I know it sounds like a strange thing uh, but relatively easy to understand we can all understand the effect of a rudder and that's what the car is doing the back wheels or even the even the side body work at times is pushing into the snow and you can lean the car and it makes sense what really is difficult to understand but wonderful to drive and wonderful to experience is when you come into a corner too quickly and you stick the nose of the car into the snow and it drags the nose into the snow 
And if the road's narrow enough, the back end, the back end will hit the, the outside or, or just the sheer traction of the car. Or you can pull the nose out. You've got the car turned in and it will hold the car, drag the car around the corner on the inside. So it's so, quite an interesting set of dynamics. All about balance and confidence, David, here. So just explain that a bit more, George. So the, the, you stick the nose of the car. That's the yeah. so if you're going into a left hand, you're sticking the front left corner of the car into the in, into the inside just, snowbank. Yeah, you, you absolutely are, David. And and the, you, you watch a few videos, you'll see it happening. Um, generally speaking, on the sort of medium to slower corners where it, it where you're coming in at very very high speed, um, and it, it really really works. I, I've I've utilised the technique myself. Um, relatively recently the last time i drove a car on snow in any sort of anger was i don't know maybe 2007 or 2008 i drove a zero car on the tommy mackinnon rally in yavascula where we ran about uh, i think we ran four or five classic thousand lake stages in the snow wow and i was made i was made zero car i was terrified <laughs> so i've got the comp competition cars running five minutes behind me there were big stages you know there were big 15 20 kilometer stages i'm thinking crikey i've got these guys right behind me and I've, I've got to not go off i had no pace notes nobody had pace notes but you can imagine all the locals knew the stages by heart yeah um yeah and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd said to tommy i said can we can we not can we not get me made into a, a like a triple zero car rather than a zero car no 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 this was the tommy mackinnon uh, it was a subaru it was all done up in tommy mackinnon colors and, and I had to do zero zero car, and that was it. And this went on for a couple of days, this joking and jostling about this. But whilst I was out there in Finland, I even spoke to the clerk of the course. And he said, no, no, George, you'll be fine. Nobody's going to catch you. We know you. And I think, well, that's really nice, you know, but I think these guys are overestimating me. Uh, having, I mean, I've done the Swedish rally six times, so I know I know how to drive on snow. And you, uh, you've, you've just stolen my thunder there, George. I was just right. about to say... Oh, we sorry, are go ahead. talking to a to a to a six-time Swedish rally competitor, uh, and I think yeah. actually what we'll do, George, is that as we as we close in on the Swedish, perhaps next week, yeah. the week after, we'll do a podcast simply dedicated to your six Swedish rallies. Oh because my God! That's... When when you've done, Luke, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but George has done the the Swedish in cars as varied as a as a as a mini, uh, all the way up to a four-wheel drive Sierra. Which was, of course, the that was the two point eight non turbo. No, 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 no. I had I, I did it in the two wheel drive turbo, David. Oh, did you? It was the Group N two wheel drive turbo. I did it in. But yeah, I, yeah. but our friends at EWRC here have you down in nineteen eighty eight in an XR four by four. They've got it wrong. It was a two wheel oh. drive two wheel drive car. Uh, yeah, and we did very well up to up to a point. We finally finally slipped off the road near the end of the rally. However, I was telling you about this uh, this this uh, there was a, a long usual George Donaldson problem of telling you about how to how to tuck into a corner using the inside of the the corner. I was telling you about the story in Finland. So just just to finish that one up, basically they all insisted that we find a zero car. Tur turned up in the morning, pitched up towards the first stage. To discover that the car is the the event is reverse seeding, <laughs> and I've got I've got a Hillman imp following me, so they were quite confident that nobody was going to catch me. <laughs> Perhaps I had two or three days sweating it, and they were laughing like hell when I discovered. Uh, uh, it was really really very funny. But it, it yeah, was. that that absolutely so. Yeah. But yeah, so, so we have seen a, a busy couple of weeks or a busy last yeah. week from from the team's testing M Sport. 
uh, start their t- their Swedish testing on the 14th of February. There, I think Cal uh, at the I would imagine the Cal Auto Lodge, which actually they may not be at the Cal Auto Lodge because I think Cal Auto Lodge is. I'm going to Google it right now. I think I don't, I don't know about this Cal down. Auto Lodge, uh, David. I, I'm not Seriously, sure. where's that? It's uh, it was in Cal, um, and <laughs> it is. Um, it's it's the place that everybody used to go to for testing, right in the very, very, very far north. Uh, it's near Ore. Uh, okay. And we went up there with um, with uh, Richard Tuttle. We did some Porsche driving on ice up there. Nice. But it was uh, I'm sure it was Kenneth Erickson that owned the Cal Auto Lodge. Ah, uh, uh, that rings a bell now. That rings a bell. I remember. Yeah. Or was it? Was it? Uh, was it his co-driver? Was it Stefan Parma? Yeah, that exactly. Yes, it was. It Stefan, was. It was. Yeah. And it was a yeah, really yeah. super cool place. Um, and we, without actually wanting to name drop, uh, myself and Anthony Peacock went up with with Tutty to drive his Porsches at the same time that the Sykes family were there uh, doing some driving with with Richard. So we we got the incredible opportunity to. Uh, to race and drive against Carlos and Carlos Jr. Uh, and it was a one and only chance I actually got to to ride in a car with Carlitos. So Ferrari's current F1 driver took me around the stage in a 911. And I have to say that if you think you've got a sort of rivalry with your father, you've got nothing on the two cars. <laughs> <laughs> Although actually segueing quite nicely into uh, father and son rivalry, who watched Race of Champions at the weekend? And, and listen, I, 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 I did not. I did not. Did you, did you catch any, Luke? I, I, I caught most of the sort of, um, I forget, I mean, someone's going to slaughter me for this, but I forget what the, the competition between all the drivers is called. I, did, I didn't see Champ- the Nations Cup on Saturday. But I saw Champion of Champions. That's the one. Thank you, David. You bailed me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not complicated. It just say the word champion twice in the same sentence. Champion of Champions. Yeah, that was, I have to say, I... I've had a sort of, uh, not uh, by no means a love-hate relationship with the Race of Champions in the past, but I've, I've kind of loved some of them and then not really enjoyed some of them. Uh, but this one, my goodness me, I absolutely Was it, was it good, David? It. Oh, it Fantastic. Was, it was brilliant. And not least because for Frederick Johnson and his team, uh, they, it was all on the, we keep saying the Baltic Sea. George, if you go right up north in Sweden to the bit where it's kind of in a big bay between Sweden and Finland, what's that bit called? That's that's the Baltic. Oh, is it? Okay, so it was the well, Baltic it, it might, it might, it, I'll, I'll just check on the map as we speak, but basically that's the Baltic that you enter. I I I'm not aware that there's any other part of that sea called anything else, but I'll be able to tell you in about 10 seconds. So so that bit? Uh, Gulf, Gulf, of, Gulf of Bothnia. A Gulf of Bothnia. There we are. Gulf of so Bothnia. There you are. The 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 Umea Bay, uh, the, not the Umea Bay. What was it called? It's Pity uh, Pity uh, Havsbad. Pity Havsbad. So right up north, and the whole sea was frozen, completely frozen. Sea temperature of minus two, apparently, uh, which is very frozen. Uh, and they and they set the stage at the circuit and everything on the frozen sea. And the night before, so Friday night, the the night before the Nations Cup, uh, apparently there was quite a high tide. And the sea somehow managed to sort of wash over the top of the ice and flood the circuit, um, which would be quite disconcerting as you're about to go out on your opening <laughs> lap and driving through 30 centimetres of seawater. 
Uh, but a massive effort from from the team. They got it all clear. They found themselves a circuit, uh, and it was it was a great two days of, of competition. Lovely blue skies on Saturday and terrible cloudy snow on on Sunday. But a victory for the Solbergs uh, and Team Norway uh, on on Saturday, and then the most epic day of racing on on Sunday um, with with Sebastian Vettel fighting Sebastian Loeb victory uh, in the final and tell us Luke you pick it up now tell us who won I don't think we need to ask that question these days do we it feels like it's about 2005 again he's winning everything he can't be soft it's mental absolutely mental he did look absolutely back to his best again didn't he there yeah, I, Tradition, I think... traditionally it was always it was always rally drivers tended to get the better on the race of champions because it is kind of more like rallying than racing even when it's on asphalt. But yeah. I'm very happy to hear that Mr. Loeb did it again. That was tremendous. But it, I, I've yeah. got to say, so, sorry, sorry, Luke. No, carry on. I was just going to say, I, I think the obvious caveat with with the contest on Sunday was Vettel was a Formula One champion and Loeb is the master of all things off road. Really, you, you kind of did expect Loeb to win but a his results were and his speed was impressive but secondly it wasn't like Vettel is not a good driver and it's it's not as if he wasn't wearing the track and everything there were clearly quite a few drivers that were up for this because both Loeb and Vettel I think on the same run made some quite key mistakes smashing into snowbanks and everything else so it always amazes me even though this is essentially just a, a pre-season bit of fun just how seriously they all take it and I love that it's brilliant Oh, definitely. No, you, you could absolutely see that. And, you, you know, the one of the, 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 the best moments for me was when, so on his way to the quarterfinal, Loeb beat Petter Solberg. Um, so Sebastian went through to the quarterfinal. In the quarterfinal, he faced Oliver Solberg. So if Petter had beaten Sebastian, it would have been a, a quarterfinal with Oliver versus Petter. But it wasn't. It was Oliver versus Sebastian. Um, and by his own admission, Oliver wasn't great. And they used some Porsche, I think they were Cayman GT4s or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, Oliver wasn't, wasn't great. He didn't realize quite how much grip there was and dropped a couple of seconds to, uh, to load there. And then they were in these, well, they, they were RX2 lights, weren't they? The electric lights cars. Um, yeah, there was, there was the old, older RX2 light car, and there was an RX2E, which is essentially the same thing, but with batteries, not the internal combustion right. engine. So they were in the battery things uh, for, their, for their second race, <laughs> um, and they, they, they finished absolutely dead level. Oliver Solberg and Sebastian Logue to the thousandth of a second. Wow. Uh, they, they couldn't be split. Apparently the first time this has happened in, in Race of Champions history, but it was just so cool to see you know what is probably the future of the world rally championship with uh, an absolute i was going to say past master but he's not he's a current master championship leader david come on yeah well no exactly this is a good point luke is in you know everything that we're writing at the moment we're talking about the fact that kelly robin Perra will will obviously be first on the road in sweden and it's it's your immediate assumption is our oh, championship leader kelly robin Perra. he's not Absolutely not. We're led by two Sebs at the moment. Uh, so, no, Race of Champs, fantastic. Congratulations to everybody involved. The absolute highlight for me was not actually the competition. Uh, it was the, there was a demonstration um, between the FC1X, which is 
quite possibly the most extraordinary uh, electric race car. Uh, it's the car that we're going to be seeing in Nitro RX this year. Uh, developed by Olsberg, is it, Luke? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're talking sort of 1,100 horsepower. Um, yeah. In a, probably a, a 1,000, 1,200 kilogram car. Um, so an awesome bit of kit. So there was that in one lane and Stig Blomqvist in an Audi Quattro E2 uh, in the other lane with brilliant. Just it was the most fantastic moment. You know, you've got this absolute silence on one side and that beautiful five cylinder rumble on the other. Oh, uh, tremendous. Were, I think they were supposed but, to do two laps and they, they must have done about 10 or something in the end. And it was <laughs> really, it, yeah, it was it was oh, just wow. quality. And they'd got, you know, it was really misty and snowing a bit and. Remember on the E2, they always had that that sort of triangle of, of spotlights. So they had six spots, but it was two underneath, one above. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's gorgeous. So they're running in in that setup. It was just so the E2 honest. was still still the long quattro, wasn't it? The E2, the, yeah. There's this always sort of debate about this: is it an S1 and an S2? This the E2 mm. was the one with the big wings. Oh, right. Uh, the, so that was the, the last, last one. That was the, the last, last one. one, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking I, it was the just the second one. Well, I, I no. always used to I always used to get this wrong, uh, and then our cherished friend David Williams, uh, the world's greatest journalist, um, took me to one side one day, and and I think he probably even showed me the homologation papers from Audi, and said, Good "There man. you are, it's 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 homologated as a Quattro E2," uh, and from that moment, I never forgot that it was always the E2. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's the yeah. E2, and. And once again, that's actually quite a nice segue talking about David Williams, DKW to many of us. Uh, he, one of his, one of his really quite good friends, I think, in, in the sport um, was Tony Pond, uh, of course. Uh, David and, and Pondy were quite similar, actually, in kind of character. They were both very private people, both absolutely lived for the sport. Um, and of course, we've now lost we've lost them both. Um, but it was I tell you what, Luke, you take up this story because this is this is your story. You've written a fabulous feature that is on dirtfish.com today. I do, I do like the fact you called it fabulous, David, because I know for a fact you haven't read it yet. Expecting it to be fabulous. Of course it'll be fabulous. It's written by you. Well, I I have no idea what to say to that. But um yeah. <laughs> Today, as we record, um, yesterday when you hear this, if you listen to the day it's come out, it is 20 years since since he lost Pondy. And to be fair, for me, it, it became a bit of a, a passion project almost to, to look this up because I think from my generation, born in the, the mid to late 90s, obviously as, as, a, as a British rallying fan, we had, we were spoiled. We were spoiled. We had Colin, we had Richard, and you were kind of, it's a shame in a way, you, you always chose one side. You never you, you sort of liked them both, but you always had a preference. But before that, it's easy to forget just how long Britain had waited for a rallying star. And in terms of driving and talent and everything else, Tony should really have been that guy. Of course, he, he did have some great results. I think we all look back on the 85 RAC, for example, as, as one of his, his best drives. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are plenty of others. I think that the couple of Ypres wins in the Triumph were equally spectacular but in in terms of world championship success i don't think he ever he ever really peaked beyond the 85 rac i mean george you, you consider how much else he achieved in the car and how good he was it's mm. it's quite astonishing the way that that's sort of all he achieved in wrc 
It, it is. I mean, his his refusal to drive a left hand car, I think, was his undoing. But but maybe he realised that it was it was too hard for him to adapt, or maybe he just didn't. He, he couldn't be bothered. Which, if you knew Tony Pond, he was he was such a a, a character and such a. Um, I don't know. Uh, he wasn't. I wouldn't necessarily call him a gentleman. I didn't know him that well, but he was a fabulously fun bloke, who uh, who just kind of did his own thing. I mean, uh, fantastic little um, cameo memories of him um, doing the, the Eper rally. And I mean, you say he only won it a couple of times. I would have said if you'd asked me just straight off, I'd have said Tony Pond had won that at least four or five times. He was sublime on that incredibly difficult event. Um, albeit in good machinery, but but he went in a variety of machinery and 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 showed showed his supremacy uh, on a number of occasions. I remember him doing Corsica in in a, just in a Nissan 240RS, where you know honestly he should have just been getting an absolute gubbing, um, uh, and and he showed really really well. Um, uh, much, much you know he, he definitely uh, he definitely uh, punched well above his weight on that one. With that car, but yes, I suppose these, these British events were were the way. But let, let's not forget. I mean, you go go back into the early eighties, um, of the seventies, the, the, the late seventies and the early eighties. Uh, the early eighties, he was driving a, a Chevette HSR, mm-hmm. a car well at the end of its development, and he was taking on Jimmy McRae and, and Henry Toivonen on a Scottish rally, the first international rally I did, the Scottish rally. Um, uh, Pente Ricola, Henry Toivonen, yeah, um, uh, Jimmy McRae, Russell Brooks, they were all the drivers of the time. And he was beating them with an old Chevette HSR with hardly any suspension travel by comparison to the Ascona 400s, the last of the escorts, uh, Talbot Sunbeam Lotuses, um, all superior cars. And he absolutely walked away with it. The guy was a magician, an absolute artist as a driver. Um, it's it's yeah, a strange an one, it? strange one, isn't it? That his, you know, I I grew up appreciating Pondy as much as anybody, but he, he never won a British Championship, did he? I'm, I'm no. not sure. I, I no, he didn't. No, no he, he didn't. No, but the, the, this is the strange thing, isn't it? It's kind of what I was sort of trying to allude to before. It's it's he was that good, but he never won the things that everybody sort of thought he would yeah. or should do and I think that's why I think particularly and I could be speaking out of turn here but from the sort of vague research I've done and I'm using this as my brother as a bouncing board <laughs> and so <laughs> not sure if it's, it's the biggest sort of set example in the world but he said to me who's Tony Pond and that that for me is exactly what's a shame is is yeah. of people of my generation you don't remember him because you don't see his name on, on the roll of honor and think oh well we'll learn about this guy mm. if you know your stuff you watch the videos you see them and I, I work plenty with, with this. I, I, I'd always been vaguely aware of what he was like, but writing this this feature and, and speaking to the people that knew him best, you really do just realise just how special he was. It, it was. it was almost like a, and I don't want to say simple because that makes it sound like he wasn't very good, but it was just, there was no sides to Tony. He just got mm. in the car and he drove it. it was, there was no politics or anything else. He, he just did yeah. his job. And, as you say, George, you mentioned the, the drives on course car, I think, and someone can correct me here, but I'm pretty sure, I think it was 81, he was third. That ended up being only one of his two podiums in the World Championship, which is mental. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it is. And it's uh, and also, what is also a real shame is that we talked a, a lot about 85 RAC, of course, he was co-driven then by Rob Arthur. 
mm-hmm. who also sadly isn't isn't with us um, because you know I the very start of my career I worked a little bit with Rob when he was running a a Ford One Make Championship in Britain and the stories from that guy were just phenomenal uh, and and it would have been a real treat to have had Rob on the podcast with us talking and just remembering uh, some of those great stories. One man who probably could remember, and I'm sure will remember, is 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 the co-driver from that Corsica uh, in 81 was Ian Grindrod. Uh, and I thought for a long time, we do need to get Ian Grindrod on the, on the podcast. Uh, so if you're listening, Ian, which I'm not sure if you do. Um, he certainly reads. He certainly reads our, our, our Dirtfish stuff. And I'm he's, pretty he's sure Ian listens. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, you'll be getting the call um, very, very soon. Uh, and I've got to say once again, and I'll put this one on the pod right now, Ian and John Meadows out there, I am very sorry that I still haven't written the John Meadows feature, um, which I really should have done, uh, which actually goes all the way back to Safari last year. Because Ian rang me and said, um, don't forget John Meadows when you're talking about safaris and Africa and co-drivers. Uh, and of course, we do forget, don't we? or I did forget, George, that John Meadows, uh, he won Ivory Coast uh, and one of Britain's best co-drivers and that's right yes Lee's talked about so Ian you'll be on the pod and John your words will be on Dirtfish soon um and yeah so just back to the 85 RAC that for me was just the most fantastic memory to to see that car the 6R4 making its debut in WRC and it could have won that round you know Pondy could have won that event couldn't he Obviously, I'm not sure actually. I mean, I, I was, I was there. I was working on that rally. That was my first, first REC rally with Toyota. Um, was it at, at that point? So we were running our two-wheel drive cars uh, still yeah. at that point. Our, our old uh, Group B Celicas, obviously. Um, so well, I then it's probably I was, pretty, I was pretty focused in on, on uh, pretty focused in on on my. Uh, it's on my George is partly yeah. your fault then. Partly Juha your Kankinen, fault then. pulled. Exactly. Then out of out a ditch. ditch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he went on if... to finish second. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So if you, you have got if you... a lot of trouble for that from Uber. Well, in fairness, George, I'm surprised in your first event as in any role in any capacity as coach. I'm surprised that you didn't step up and say no. Look, we're not having this. <laughs> this is not acceptable. So, <laughs> what would you have been doing on that RAC in '85? I I did a variety of things. Um, I did uh, I did what, what, uh, emergency tire service on a couple of, of occasions. I went running around with a a Finnish uh, in, um, another Finnish mechanic, Yurma uh, Alalati. Um, up in, he, he still works up in Yavaskula making gearboxes and engines for, for all manner of vehicles, classics and current. The guy's an absolute mechanical genius. But we, we flew around the country. He, he drove and I navigated and I remember he was, he was utterly gobsmacked driving around North Wales. I was, I was down on the maps trying to get us past all the traffic to get us into the little... Uh, partially legal services that you were allowed to do. Um, uh, and literally, just you, just tires, just you just have a bunch of tyres in the back. We, we, I, think we had, I think we had four tyres in the back of a Toyota, four-wheel drive Toyota Tercel, which was really a two-wheel drive car that you could lock into four-wheel drive, but it could get you out of any sort of trouble if you'd got into a ditch or anything. It was a brilliant car. And we did that for about a day and a half. And then the other part of the time, I was, I was driving the motorhome with the uh, with the two with the two girls that did the catering for the motorhome, that was a motorhome was a big deal in those days. Only the really big teams had a motorhome. You know, it's huge. Everyone else yeah. just worked out the back of an estate car, um, even the factory teams. Um, and um, 
uh, pre-event, I did uh, I did uh, weeks of map marking because all the all the the service crews, all the rally crews, all had a full set of ordnance survey maps marked up with the route. Yeah, uh, with all the passages, all the, pa the passage controls, time controls, stages, service points, all marked on them, every single one. Um, so you can imagine that we we rented a, a hotel a hotel function room. Um, which would have been huge, you know, it would, have seated, it would have seated 50 or 60 people and we had tables set around it and those would be five or six of us, usually including all the co-drivers, and we sat around and we marked maps. Wow. And, that's what, and we, that's what we did. And you would have, in those days, you would have been finding exactly where to service after every stage and that's what that was all done. Yeah, that was done. That was done on a pre-event pre-event recce, so the team manager, that would have been Uwe Anderson, had gone around, uh, not Uwe Anderson, uh, uh, Henry Lydon, Henry Lydon, gone around, Henry Lydon would have gone around the route and done the recce, just popped into all the farms. Got, mm. We had all the, you, you even put the phone numbers on the map. You even wrote down the farm, the farmer's name and the phone number, leave a jacket, you know, uh, make yeah. sure the driver says hello to the guy's wife. You know, not, you didn't mark that on the map, but um, yeah. you, you certainly have the, the, there was instructions in the service plan for all that sort of stuff. Ah, um, and, and you had, and, so you had Yuha and it would have been Bjorn. Yuha, Bjorn. And who was the third driver? Sure, did we have a third driver? I I, uh, I, I cannot rem I cannot remember. Per was still driving for Toyota on and off at that point. I can't remember if we had a third driver or not. But it, I mean, those I cannot, were the, cannot recall. Known as the as a whistling pig, wasn't it that car? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was a it was a lot. It was a lovely car. Dead easy to drive in many ways. But was it? You know, in 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 REC trim, that car would have had you know 380, 390 horsepower at the rear wheels. <laughs> Massive amount of power for just a, a two wheel drive rear wheel drive car in the, at that time. And yeah. it was super fast, very highly geared. Um, so where it where it used to make up time. And that car won a um. Won a, um, a New Zealand rally against all the four-wheel drive cars, just because of its top end speed it, and it, its well, balance. It was, it, was, it was the year that um, what year was it? Must have been was it eighty three or eighty four? In New Zealand rally, um, it, it mm. was uh, Bjorn, Bjorn won it, and uh, oh, yeah. was, the rally went to yeah. the South Island, and the stages were very very fast. Yeah, and uh, well, Bjorn won. I mean, how do you win New Zealand in a two-wheel drive car against? Peugeot uh, T16s and Audi mm. Quattros. Well, Bjorn did. So he was we'll that. He was that special, though, wasn't he? But he was that special. Yeah. That that kind of car somewhere like Yorkshire, uh, where it ends yeah. in those really quick long straights. Uh, but no, it wasn't. Well, it was a special result, and so it's yeah, entirely George's fault that Pondy didn't finish second. Uh, it's finish entirely, <laughs> entirely my team's fault. Johan <laughs> Kankinen, thank you, Johan. <laughs> Yeah. So for the trouble you're uh, now causing me once again. <laughs> uh, and, and talking of, of, there was obviously a lot of snow, proper winter, winter RNC, that one. And moving into more winter rally chat, we do have Snowdrift coming up this, this week. Luke, is it this weekend? Yeah, this ne weekend. Ne next weekend, I think. Next it? weekend? Yeah. Okay, so we're all, actually over a week out for the preview. This is very bad planning. Apologies, Lisa, please don't put me in detention for this. But just uh, from two weeks out then, or, or however far out we are, Luke, can you give us any insight into what's coming in Snowdrift? I can do my best, David. 
<laughs> Sorry, I kind of put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's not a rally I've been lucky enough to to have gone to. Um, but everything I've heard, and for, just for for absolute clarity as well, because we haven't mentioned it, is the opening round of the American Rally Association Championship. Yeah. Um, and I think what makes this one unique, guys, obviously, is the fact they compete on snow but without studded tires, which is oh, not... it's been like that for years. It's amazing. Yeah, it's um... it's quite a different skill. <laughs> yeah, totally. Have you ever been out there, George, for that event? No, I've not. But I've, I've the, the modern uh, the modern tire without studs, uh, the modern snow tire without studs is very, very good. Uh, unbelievably good. Nothing like as good as a stud, but but well, the competition studs, but actually remarkably good. But th th that rally has, I think, since forever, uh, or since since forever, they've been doing those snow rallies. They don't allow the studded tires. So it's a different it's a different beast altogether, all about finesse. I mean, yeah. such a such a skillful rally to drive, such, such a knife edge, uh, mm. albeit at slightly lower velocities, you'd have to say. And you, you could, you know, a little bit too quick on one corner, you'd be having your it'd be a bit like Finland, you have your accident about six corners later because you can't slow down <laughs> over the next six corners because <laughs> you just don't have the traction. And you just know, hang on, there's a hairpin over a bridge and I'm and I've just got rid oh crap. And you've got you've got a quarter of a mile for these poor drivers to think about it, slapping off the snow banks using using the very best technique I was just about to to explain earlier, which I failed to do, um, where you you drop the nose of the car into the corner to try and pick it round, and it's such a balancing act to just put the nose in. It really really does work. It drags the car in, so you've got to lift it back out again quickly. You don't have a, a big window to do it. It's a bit like trying to drive a Porsche sideways. It's a very narrow window to to keep it right. Um, so uh, yeah, all all uh, all respect to those guys going out to do yeah. that rally and competition. They're going to have a fabulous time. But how challenging is that? Love to be there with them. I have to say, it is. It's one of the one of the events I've always hankered after going to. So it, it does. It sounds so special. And we had a mm. we had a, a a meeting last week about um, about it with some of the guys that are working with us out in. In America, Mason Runkle and, and and these kind of guys, and we were talking about, you know, what what do we talk about during the event, and what will be the stories? And there's one place apparently called Bonfire Alley, um, which it's just, magic. And, magic. And, do you know? Explain it, Luke, because I, you know, I I heard a little bit about it last week, but you know more about it than me. I, I think anyone who's ever seen pictures from Soldier, if you'll either have seen stuff in the daylight going over jumps, the usual sort of action shots, or you'll have seen something. In the in the dark with lots of lights and bonfires and everything else, it's just this magnificent stretch of of spectating, I guess, where they all turn up. And and I think in that call actually, David, you sort of likened it a little bit to Colin's Crest in, in Sweden. You've got yeah. everyone amalgamates to this one spot, and it's one of these things we all talk about. Some of the greatest places in the world to spectate. You think of El Condor with the atmosphere up there in Argentina probably anywhere in Rally Finland. Um, but with this event, it's, they all come to the same bit. It's dark. They've got the flares out. They're lighting bonfires, and they're literally shooting gas on the flakes to make them look more spectacular <laughs> the cars they're fighting. Only in America. But it, it's fantastic. I, I honestly, I hate to think what it's like to drive through there. Because that, as George said, when, you, when you're essentially the, the rallying equivalent of driving a shopping trolley without one of the working wheels, so they come through there with all this atmosphere. If it was uh, me, I'd get lost in it. That's why yeah. I don't compete. I don't have the concentration for that. But it is, but, it's, it is fantastic. It's one of those 
sort of anything that should be on a rally fans bucket list to go and see is that particular part of Sudokin. Yeah, no, it just it sounds fantastic. Don't get too excited. Uh, I've, I'm a week early. Uh, that is, I'm just looking on dirtfish.com. Snowdrift Rally, 18th and 19th. Uh, that event was two weeks away. I can still go. If somebody, if somebody just sends me a ticket, <laughs> I'll be there. You know, I'm, and I'm going to go to Bonfire Alley. Look, I'm, I'm going to be there. Yeah, you're going to be um, with me. Let's go. Let's get let, out. There. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come as part of your carry-on luggage. I'm not smart. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll, I'll try. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's always no. there's plenty carry-on luggage in first class. Don't worry. We'll, <laughs> we'll get you on. <laughs> Definitely. Well, well, I I think that is about a wrap. We will do a more in-depth. Uh, Snowdrift preview next week. That's a bit of warning for you, Luke. Uh, Luke will be with us again next week because uh, I believe the esteemed Mr. Clark is is still away, uh, and Lise will still be watching and commentating brilliantly on ice hockey uh, and artificial snow uh, in Beijing. Uh, so yeah, so well, thank you very much, Luke. That's been a, a fabulous debut uh, on the podcast. Much appreciated. Yeah, I, I, I hope it wasn't too terrible. No, 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 absolutely not. No, no, genius. Still, still too many, too many Scots on the pod for me, uh, particularly the Monday. Well, what, David, the what, what was the score on Saturday? Uh, I can't remember. Can't I can't. Okay. It, yeah. No, no, sadly, okay. I can't remember. You're now, you're now talking about rugby. It's totally irrelevant. This is a rally <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and David, Apologies. David, there's no such thing as Scots, English, French, Finnish, Swedish in rallying. You're rallying, right. and that's it. Yes. It's, it. It is not a really. It, it, it's, it's. It is a religion. I was going to say it's not a religion. It is a religion. Is. A rally for everyone that's listening here, and, and for so many people that are not that should be. It's it, it's it is a. We're not a religion. We we are actually a nationality. I swear to goodness, it's just <laughs> such are. a fantastic sport. And I, one day, one day, right. one day, David, I'll tell you about. Well, when we do the Swedish the, the Swedish uh, retrospect of my terrible efforts there. Actually, some of them were quite quite spectacular, at least. I'll tell you about how to hook around the corner on the inside. I'll try and describe it in a bit more detail, which I completely failed to do today. You could even you could even draw us some pictures and we'll put those on social uh, to, to demonstrate it, George. I don't give away that stuff for free, David. It costs a fortune. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very happy to do it, but you know, sort of, cost and I say us. I say costs a fortune. You know, I'm, I'm cheap. Lunch, dinner, a first-class yeah. flight to the Snowdrift Rally, whatever, it's all available. <laughs> it would be an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Right, and it has been an absolute pleasure, so thank you very much, Jack, and uh, same time next week. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank, thank you, David. You.